Chapter 8 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 8 English Peerages, Their Influence Upon Race. It is frequently and justly remarked that the families of great men are apt to die out, and it is argued from the fact that men of ability are unprolific. If this were the case, every attempt to produce a highly gifted race of men would eventually be defeated. Gifted individuals might be reared, but they would be unable to maintain their breed. I propose in a future chapter, after I have discussed the several groups of eminent men, to examine the degree in which transcendent genius may be correlated with sterility, but it will be convenient that I should now say something about the case of failure of issue of judges and statesmen and come to some conclusion whether or no a breed of men gifted with the average ability of those eminent men could or could not maintain itself during an indefinite number of consecutive generations i will even go a little further afield and treat of the extinct peerages generally first as to the judges there is a peculiarity in their domestic relations that interferes with a large average of legitimate families lord campbell states in a footnote to his life of lord chancellor thurlow in the lives of the chancellors that when he lord campbell was first acquainted with the english bar one half of the judges had married their mistresses he says it was then the understanding that when a barrister was elevated to the bench he should either marry his mistress or put her away According to this extraordinary statement, it would appear that much more than one-half of the judges that sat on the bench at the beginning of the century had no legitimate offspring before the advanced period of their lives at which they were appointed judges. One-half of them could not, because it was at that stage in their career that they married their mistresses, and there were others who, having them put away their mistresses, were, for the first time, able to marry. Nevertheless, I have shown that the number of the legitimate children of the judges is considerable, and that even under that limitation they are on the whole by no means an unfertile race bearing in mind what i have just stated it must follow that they are extremely prolific nay they are occasional instances of enormous families in all periods of their history but do not the families die out i will examine into the descendants of those judges whose names are to be found in the appendix to the chapter upon them who gained peerages and who last sat on the bench previous to the close of the reign of george fourth there are thirty-one of them, nineteen of the peerages remain, and twelve are extinct. Under what conditions did these twelve become extinct? Were any of those conditions peculiar to the twelve, and not shared by the remaining nineteen? In order to obtain an answer to these inquiries, I examined into the number of children and grandchildren of all the thirty-one peers, and into the particulars of their alliances, and tabulated them, when, to my astonishment, I found a very simple, adequate, and novel explanation of the common cause of extinction of peerages staring me in the face. It appeared, in the first instance, that a considerable proportion of the new peers and of their sons married heiresses. Their motives for doing so are intelligible enough and not to be condemned. They have a title, and perhaps a sufficient fortune, to transmit to their eldest son, but they want an increase of possessions for the endowment of their younger sons and their daughters. On the other hand, an heiress has a fortune, but wants a title. Thus the peer and heiress are urged to the same issue of marriage by different impulses, but by statistical lists showed, with unmistakable emphasis, that these marriages are particularly unprolific. We might indeed have expected that a heiress, who is the sole issue of a marriage, and would not be so fertile as a woman who has many brothers and sisters. Comparative infertility must be hereditary in the same way as other physical attributes, and I am assured 
it is so in the case of the domestic animals consequently the issue of a peer's marriage with a heiress frequently fails and his title is brought to an end i will give the following list of every case in the first or second generation of the law lords taken from the english judges within the limits i have already specified where there has been a marriage with a heiress or a co-heiress and i will describe the result in each instance then i will summarize the facts influence of heiress marriages on the families of those english judges who obtained peerages and who last sat on the bench between the beginning of the reign of charles II and at the end of the reign of george the fourth the figures within parenthesis give the data of their peerages culpepper first lord sixteen sixty four married twice and had issued by both marriages in all five sons and four daughters the eldest son married an heiress and died without issue the second son married a co-heiress and only one daughter the third married but had no children and the other two never married at all so the title became extinct cooper first earl of shaftesbury sixteen seventy two his mother was a sole heiress he married three times and had only one son however the son was prolific and the direct male line continues cowper first earl seventeen eighteen first wife was a heiress he had no surviving issue by her his second wife had two sons and two daughters his eldest son married a co-heiress for his first wife and had only one son and one daughter the direct male line continues finch first earl of nottingham sixteen eighty one had fourteen children the eldest married a co-heiress for his first wife and had only one daughter by her harcourt first lord seventeen twelve had three sons and two daughters two of the sons died young the eldest married an heiress whose mother was a heiress also he had by her two sons and one daughter both of the sons married and both died issueless so the title became extinct henley first earl of nottingham seventeen sixty four his mother was a co-heiress he married and had one son and five daughters the son died unmarried and so the title became extinct hyde first earl clarendon sixteen sixty one married a lady who was eventually sole heiress and had four sons and two daughters by her the third son died unmarried and the fourth was drowned at sea consequently there remained only two available sons to carry on the family of these the eldest who became the second earl married a lady who died living an only son he then married for his second wife an heiress who had no issue at all the only son had but one male child who died in youth and was succeeded in the title by the descendants of the first earl's second son he the son of a heiress had only one son and four daughters and his son who was fourth earl of clarendon had only one son and two daughters the son died young so the title became extinct jeffreys first lord of wem sixteen eighty five had one son and two daughters the son married an heiress and had only one daughter so the title became extinct Kenyon, first lord seventeen eighty eight had three sons although one of them married a co-heiress there were numerous descendants in the next generation north first lord guilford sixteen eighty three married a co-heiress he had only one grandson who however lived and had children parker first earl of macclesfield seventeen twenty one the family has narrowly escaped extinction threatened continually by its numerous errors of alliance the first earl married a co-heiress and had only one son and one daughter the son married a co-heiress and had two sons of these the second married a co-heiress and had no issue at all the eldest son grandson of the first earl was therefore 
the only male that remained in the race. He had two sons and one daughter. Now of these two, only one male hire in the third generation, one married a co-hiress and had only one daughter. The remaining one fortunately married twice, for by the first marriage he had only daughters. A son by the second marriage is the present peer, and is the father by two marriages, in either case with an heiress of eleven sons and four daughters. Pratt, 1st Earl of Camden, 1786. This family affords a similar instance to the last one of impending destruction of the race. The first Earl married an heiress and had only one son and four daughters. The second married an heiress and had only one son and three daughters. This son married a co-heiress, but fortunately had three sons and eight daughters. Raymond, 1st Lord, 1731. He had one son who married a co-heiress and left no issue at all, so the title became extinct. Scott, Lord Stowell. See further on under my list of statesmen. Talbot, 1st Lord, 1733. This family narrowly escaped extinction. The first lord buried in Hyrus and had three sons. The eldest son married in Hyrus and had only one daughter. The second son married a co-hyrus and had no issue by her. However, she died and he married again and left four sons. The third son of the first earl had male issue. Trevor, first lord, 1711. Married a co-hyrus and had two sons and three daughters. Both of the sons married, but they had only one daughter each. Lord Trevor married again and had three sons, of whom one died young, and the other two, though they married, left no issue at all. Wedderburn, First Lord Lowborough, and Earl of Rosslyn, 1801. Married an heiress for his first wife and had no issue at all. He married again, somewhat late in life, and had no issue, so the direct male line is extinct. York, First Earl of Hardwick, 1754. He is numerously represented, though two of his lines of descent have failed, in one of which there was a marriage with a co-hiress. The result of all these facts is exceedingly striking. It is, first, that out of the 31 peerages, there were no less than 17 influence of a hiress or a co-hiress affected the first or second generation. That this influence was sensibly an agent in producing stability in 16 out of these 17 peerages, and the influence was sometimes shown in two, three, or more cases in one peerage. Second, that the direct line of no less than eight peerages, viz. Culpepper, Harcourt, Northington, Clarendon, Jeffreys, Raymond, Trevor, and Rosalind, were actually extinguished through the influence of the heiress, and that six others, viz. Shaftesbury, Cowper, Guildford, Parker, Camden, and Talbot, had very narrow escapes from extinction, owing to the same cause. I literally have only one case, that of Lord Kenyon, where the race-destroying influence of high-risk blood was not felt. Third, out of the twelve peerages that have failed in the direct male line, no less than eight failures are accounted for by high-risk marriages. Now, what are the four that remain? Lord Summers and Thurlow both died unmarried. Lord Alvany had only two sons, of whom one died unmarried. There is only his case and that of the Earl of Mansfield out of the ten who married and whose titles have since become extinct, where the extinction may not be accounted for by high-risk marriages. No one can therefore maintain, with any show of reason, that there are grounds for imputing exceptional stability to the race of judges. The facts, when carefully analysed, point very strongly in the opposite direction. I will now treat the statesman of George III and the premier since the ascension of George III, down to recent times, in the same way as I have treated the judges, including, however, only those whose pedigrees I can easily find, namely, 
such as were peers or nearly related peers. There are 22 of these names. I find that 14 have left no male descendants, and that 7 of those 14 peers or their sons have married heiresses, namely Canning, Castlereagh, Lord Grenville, George Grenville, Lord Holland, Lord Stowell, and Walpole, the first Earl of Oxford. On the other hand, I find only three cases of peers marrying heiresses without failure of issue, namely Addington, Lord Sidmouth, the Marquess of Boot, and the Duke of Grafton. The seven whose male line became extinct from other causes are Bolingbroke, Earl Chatham, Lord Liverpool, Earl St. Vincent, Earl Nelson, William Pitt, unmarried, and the Marquess of Wellesley, who left illegitimate issue. The remaining five required to complete the 22 cases are the Duke of Bedford, Dundas, Viscount Melville, Percival, Romilly, and Wilberforce. None of these were allied or descended from Hira's blood, and they have all left descendants. I append to this summary the history of the Hira's marriages to correspond with what has already been given in respect to the judges. Boot, Marquess of married a co-hires, but had a large family. Canning, George, married an heiress, and had three sons and one daughter. The eldest died young, and the second was drowned in youth, and the third, who was the late Earl Canning, married a co-hires, and had no issue, so the line is extinct. Castlereagh, Viscount, married a co-hires, and had neither son nor daughter, so the line became extinct. Grafton, Duke of, married an heiress, and had two sons and one daughter, by a second wife, he had a large family. Grenville, Lord, had three sons and four daughters. The eldest son married a heiress and had no male grandchildren. The second was apparently unmarried. The third was George Grenville, Premier. He married but was issueless, so the line is extinct. Holland, Lord, had one son and one daughter. The son married an heiress and had only one son and one daughter. The son died issueless, so the male line is extinct. Rockingham, Second Marquess, married an heiress and had no issue, so the title became extinct. Sidmouth, Viscount Addington, was son of a heiress and had only one son and four daughters. The son had numerous descendants. Stowell, Lord, married a co-heiress. He had only one son who died unmarried and one daughter, so the male line is extinct. Walpole, First Lord of Oxford had three sons and two daughters. The eldest son married an heiress and had only one son, who died unmarried. The second and third sons died unmarried, so the male line is extinct. The important result disclosed by these facts, that intermarriage with heiresses is a notable agent in the extinction of families, is confirmed by more extended inquiries. I devoted some days to ransacking Burke's volumes on the extant and on the extinct peerages. I first tried the marriages made by the second peers of each extant title. It seemed reasonable to expect that the eldest son of the first peer, the founder of the title, would marry heiresses pretty frequently, and so they do, and with terrible destruction to their race. I examined one-seventh part of the peerage, leaving out co-heiresses, for I shall weary the reader if I refine overmuch. The following were the results. A table is presented on the page with number of cases. One. Ebbington, second earl, wife and mother, both heiresses, no issue. Two, Aldborough, second earl, married two heiresses, no issue. One, Annesley, second earl, wife and mother, both heiresses, three sons and two daughters. One, Aaron, 
Second Earl, wife and mother, both heiresses, four sons and three daughters. 1. His son, the third Earl, married an heiress and had no issue. 1. Ashburnham, second Baron, wife and mother, both heiresses, no issue. 1. His brother succeeded as third Earl and married an heiress. By her, no issue. 1. Aylesford, second Earl, wife heiress, mother co-heiress, one son and three daughters. 1. Barrington, second Viscount, wife and mother, both heiresses, no issue. 2. Beaufort, second Duke, married, two heiresses, by one no issue, by the other, two sons. 1. Bedford, second Duke, married heiress, two sons and two daughters. 1. Camden, second Earl, wife and mother, both heiresses, one son and three daughters. Number of cases total 14. Making a grand total of 14 cases out of 70 peers, resulting in 8 instances of absolute sterility and in 2 instances of only one son. I tried the question from another side by taking the marriages of the last peers and comparing the numbers of the children when the mother was a heiress and those when she was not. I took precautions to exclude from the latter all cases where the mother was a co-heiress or the father and only son. Also, since heiresses are not so very common, I sometimes went back two or three generations for an instance of an iris marriage. In this way I took 50 cases of each. I give them below, having first doubled the actual results, in order to turn them into percentages. The table is presented at the page, with three columns going straight down. The number of sons to each marriage, and 100 marriages of each description split in two columns, number of cases in which the mother was iris, and the number of cases in which the mother was not iris. I find that among the wives of peers, 100 who are heiresses have 208 sons and 206 daughters. 100 who are not heiresses have 336 sons and 284 daughters. The table shows how exceedingly precarious must be the line of a descent from an heiress, especially when younger sons are not apt to marry. One-fifth of heiresses have no male children at all. Full-third have not more than one child. Three-fifths have not more than two. It has been the salvation of many families that the husband outlived the heiress whom he first married and was able to leave issue by a second wife. Every advancement in dignity is a fresh inducement to the introduction of another heiress into the family. Consequently, dukes have a greater impregnation of heiress blood than earls, and dukedoms might be expected to be more frequently extinguished than earldoms, and earldoms to be more apt to go than baronies. Experience shows this to be most decidedly the case. Sir Bernard Burke, in his preface to the extent peerages, states that all the English dukedoms created from the commencement of the order down to the commencement of the reign of Charles II are gone, excepting three that emerged in royalty, and that only eleven earldoms remain out of the many created by the Normans, Plantagenets, and Tudors. This concludes my statistics about the Hyruses. I do not care to go farther, because one ought to know something more about their several histories before attempting to arrive at very precise results in respect to their facility. A heiress is not always the sole child of a marriage contracted early in life and during for many years. She may be the surviving child of a larger family, or the child of a late marriage, or the parents may have early left her an orphan. We ought also to consider the family of the husband, whether he be a sole child or one of a large family. These matters would afford a very instructive field of inquiry to those who care to labour in it, but it falls outside my line of work. The reason I have gone so far is simply to know that, although 
Many men of eminent ability, I do not speak of illustrious or prodigious genius, have not left descendants behind them. It is not because they are sterile, but because they are apt to marry sterile women, in order to obtain wealth to support the peerages with which their merits have been rewarded. I look upon the peerage as a disastrous institution, owing to its destructive effects on our valuable races. The most highly gifted men are ennobled, their elder sons attempt to marry heiresses, and their younger ones not to marry at all, for these have not enough fortune to support both a family and an aristocratical position. So the side shoots of the genealogical tree are hacked off, and the leading shoot is blighted, and the breed is lost forever. It is with much satisfaction that I have traced, and, I hope, finally disposed of the cause why families are apt to become extinct in proportion to their dignity, chiefly so on account of my desire to show that able races are not necessarily sterile, as secondarily, because it may put an end to the wild and ludicrous hypothesis that are frequently stated to account for their extinction. End of chapter 8 of Hereditary Genius